Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I look back at some of these like things that I've done, and I'm just like, why? Why did people lie to me? Why was I allowed out of the house? Why, why did I think it was okay for me to shave my entire head with the exception of a front bang? And, and it's like, uh, yeah, I can like ingest you it now, but like, trust me. Hello and welcome to Back from the Borderline for you new listeners, for returning listeners, welcome back. You are all in for a treat today because I have Jared Gelman on the podcast. Jared is a pop chameleon, a fashion icon, and all-around hilarious human being and a very, very dear friend of mine. I do want to provide a content warning on this episode because we do talk about self-harm and suicide, so keep that in mind if you're going to listen and take good care of yourself. All right, let's get into it. You have entered back from the borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. 
One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Welcome to Back from the Borderline. We have my friend Jared here with us as a guest, and he is going to introduce himself to you now. Hi, everybody. Um, My name is Jared Gelman, and Molly has been a friend of mine for a few years. And uh, interestingly enough, when we met, uh, I knew that I had borderline. Uh, Molly, wasn't necessarily diagnosed yet. And so uh, I remember very vividly telling her about my diagnoses during like one of our little heart to hearts and something that has brought us closer, you know, all these years later is the fact that she now knows that she also has that. Um, I originally met Molly many moons ago in another life when uh, I am a musical artist. Uh, she used to be a musical artist. And so we met in that wavelength and she's always been great. But since bonding over uh, our emotional connection got stronger and uh, BPD is very hard, as I'm sure many listeners know. And when you find someone else who has BPD, uh, you're sort of already starting with so much in common. And so I'm excited to talk to you today, Molly. Yes, yeah. we're so excited to have you here. And I'm glad you told the uh, origin story of us meeting for the listeners at the time. That is when when I met Jared is when I thought that I had bipolar 2, which as many of you know, that's a diagnosis that is quite often um, BPD and bipolar 2 are often misdiagnosed, even though for me now, I don't understand how I was misdiagnosed with bipolar 2 because I certainly didn't experience mania like uh, many of my friends who have genuine bipolar do. But um, I just knew that it was when I started feeling like what I had was BPD is when I started realizing how much my behavior depended upon other people right? It's not like I woke up in the middle of the night with bipolar. A lot of times people will have like an idea for a project. You'll stay up six days doing that project alone in your house. For me, I don't find myself tripped into like my manic type behavior just because of something like that. It's more like someone breaks up with me or someone rejects me or I get a piece of feedback that... so. For those of you out there, it is. And it's like our behavior when you have BPD quite often is tripped off by other people's um, reactions to us. Um, It's not anyone else's fault. It's just that it's interpersonal. It's less situational. Um, I'm curious though, Jared, what is your diagnosis story? Like when, when were you diagnosed? When did you first feel like 
you were an emotional burn victim because they say people with BPD are like emotions. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so I, since like six, so uh, if you can't tell from, well, not, not to stereotype myself, but if you can't tell <laughs> listeners, um, I am queer. And so as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, being, you know, a flamboyant young queer child who, uh, lived in a suburban town where everyone else seemed to know that I was queer before I did. Um, it's no shock, I'm sure, that I went through quite a lot of bullying. And so because of that, uh, when I, by the time I was in sixth grade, you know, I was a very sad kid. Um, and I've experienced with a lot of uh, self-destructive behaviors, uh, I want to say my whole life, uh, from self-harm and suicidal ideation uh, to, you know, with my eating habits and so on and so forth. Um, and so I saw a uh, psychologist at first, um, mm. and that was sort of like through high school. And then by the time I got to college, I switched to a psychiatrist and The psychiatrist, I remember um, it was during one of my uh, cutting relapses and she said to me, um, so what you have is called borderline personality disorder. Um, I don't want you to panic, but it's a very stigmatized disorder culturally. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was my initial reaction because, you know, I love crime TV and I, I, I love criminal minds and the amount of episodes that came to my head were like, oh, the person has borderline personality disorder or now they're a murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So I like sort of panicked. And I also, uh, based on just hearing it, thought that I was being told I had multiple personalities. Um, yeah. Uh, and so the more that it was explained to me, I was like, oh, wait, that actually does sound a lot like me. Um, and it's, it's really hard when, you know, you feel like you're a normal person, whatever that means. Um, and you feel like the thoughts that you have are, uh, you know, fueled by logic, but based on the outcomes of what your thoughts are, you can recognize that they are not the same for most people. So like, yeah, I, in my head, I, I can rationalize why I'm so upset, but the fact that like I'm harming myself is, is not okay. And uh, I remember being told that there were two different uh, ways that people with borderline uh, act out. And that's why upon my first like Google search, I was like, wait, but this isn't me. And both are, I guess, in some ways manipulative. <laughs> However, there's the, there's the kind that lashes out at other people. And there's, there's the kind of that lashes out at uh, themselves. Yeah. And quiet borderlines. Yeah. And that's what I was. So like, uh, I knew that like, I wasn't the type of person who, you know, would confront anybody really as I've Mm -hmm. gotten older and I've gotten more proud in like my queerness. I now like am okay to be sassy sometimes and to like Mm -hmm. put people in their place. But like when it comes to actual serious, like bigger picture things, uh, everything's terrifying to me. And you know, I'm the type of person who would rather punish myself um, yep. than actually clarify anything. And, uh, you know, if you zoomed out, I, I guess somebody could say, oh, well, is that manipulative for the sake of like getting the outcome you want of getting like your favorite person to feel bad, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, 
as far as I like, I do genuinely believe in my heart that no, it's because it's like my way of saying, you know, like you deserve this. And you know, when I'm harming myself and like I'm bullying myself, mm-hmm. at least I feel like I'm in control because it's not in the hands of someone else. Uh, it's sort of analogous. I feel like to, uh, you know, the sex positivity movement, um, there's like the whole feminist angle where women, um, who are, feel sexually empowered purposely objectify themselves, but for the sake of saying, yeah, but I'm, I'm doing it on my terms. I'm not doing it because yeah. um, you're telling me to, it's sort of like that for me where it was like, well, I'm harming myself because it's yeah. on my terms and I'm not doing it because you want me, like you want to harm me, if that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I think that you brought up so many different points that I could ask you questions on the first being, you know, I never struggled with self-harm myself in, in the, um, in the traditional sense, we self-harm in so many different ways. So we self-destructive behavior doesn't doesn't have to be physical. Sex as self-harm is something that I've brought up so often. It's something I've done, um, you know, and our own inner critic. And what you talk about that, you know, like the voice inside of your head that is just like it's this constant dialogue of telling us, telling stories of how there is going to be a bad outcome. I, I think it was about a year and a half ago that I sat down and I – confronted like that negative voice in my head. And I realized, wow, I think it was one of the times where my partner had left and he had come back. And I had, I had in just a matter of two hours convinced myself that a, he for sure had died. And then the last thing that I would ever have said to him was like this, I was analyzing the last thing that I would have said to him. Of course. And it, in a two hour time span, I had convinced myself that a, he was probably out pondering, uh, the demise of our relationship and that he would also die oh, you, before oh, ponder, he gets back. You said pondering. <laughs> I thought you said uh, Ponziing, And I was like, Ponzi. I was like, no, not a Ponzi scheme. Um, but yeah, like, <laughs> I, as you say that I'm, I'm not even shocked. I'm like, Oh yeah, of course, because that, of course. That's, that's how our brains work. Why wouldn't we yeah. be doing that? It's very true. But the, and the problem is people with borderline personality disorder are also, they often are really intelligent, but combined with a true belief that we are trash and that the world is a scary place. And so it's like when you're really smart, but your perception of reality is not there, it's a bad combination. Totally. And I I always say that that the hardest thing about having BPD is like this constant uh, gaslighting of myself where I sort of like, uh, for somebody who feels extremely self-aware, I'm always like, am I? am I being rational or is this my disorder? And, you know, when you start gaslighting yourselves and you can't trust your own brain, it's crippling because, you know, yes, of course that when, as people with BPD, you know, we have a falling out with um, our favorite person or even like a a light argument. uh, And it's like, oh, we are being too much. Sometimes like if you're having a falling out with someone, sometimes you are in the right. So like the amount of times that like I've gotten in a fight with, you know, my best friend who I consider my favorite person. And then I'm like, oh no, this is my disorder. He knows I have this disorder. And like, we go to sit down and then like, as we're talking, I'm like, wait, no, but in this situation, you did do me wrong. Yeah. And it's like, how yep. do I know 
if I was actually done wrong or if this is my brain testing them. You're touching on a really important thing too, because I feel like when we start, there's two phases in your life with BPD. It's like before you have it. So it's just like you do whatever. And I was like an emotional wrecking ball, just like bouncing around. And then you know you have it. And then begins almost like the second hell part, which is just like every single thing you do, every desire you have, you have to filter it through. And you're like, is this is this authentically something I want? Is this something authentically that I want to say? Is this a right that I deserve to have? Or is it something that I am doing because of an impulsive need to feel okay? A lot of people, I guess, would say that people with BPD are quote unquote master manipulators. But yeah. like when in my head I'm doing like the pro con list of like deciding like is it worth me saying something like was I actually done wrong or is this my brain yeah um sometimes I'm like am I a manipulator am I now just manipulating my own thoughts to convince myself that I am in the right and you know when you when you're unsure if you can trust your own thoughts it sort of uh leaves you feeling like what is the point of anything until until like somebody validates your thoughts but even when someone else validates your thoughts it's like was I just manipulating the narrative so that they thought I was in the right and (laughs) it's like this never-ending cycle Uh, it's so true though and and the worst part is like of course you want like the closest people in your life to know about it because you know (laughs) we all we do need a little bit of extra love but like when it starts getting used against you and and people are like uh, you're you're acting irrationally. I didn't do anything wrong. I think this is the, your disorder. And you're like, oh, okay, thank you for um, saying that because sometimes <laughs> I can't recognize it. And then yeah. it's like, it's it's never actually that extreme. And then it's like, why am I the one apologizing? I know that sometimes I'm not handling things uh, the quote unquote rational way, but that doesn't mean that this entire situation is my fault because people uh, without BPD often like have issues with the people who are close to them in their life. And it's like, yes. it, it's not that like I'm living in a completely different reality. It's just, I'm feeling things a little more intensely. I have been doing a lot of that myself because also people with BPD tend to attract other people in their life. At least I've found that I tend to attract some of my best friends who are on the opposite end of the spectrum to me, who where I, I kind of feel like I have to beg for crumbs of their feeling and care, even though even the best people in my life, they're just not as emotive as I am. And they they experience they're like deep critical thinkers where they see like this is the facts, this is what it is. And I find myself clashing so much with those people in my life, even though I love them so much and they love me, where it's like you really can sit down with a borderline like with me and hear my side of the story. And if you don't hear the other person's side, you are like, let's go because this is the worst thing that's ever happened. And then you sit down and you could talk to Zaz, my partner, for example, and hear his side and then go, oh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Molly, maybe you maybe you are just a little too much. And again, that's that's also a phrase that uh is very trigger triggering. I also hate the phrase and triggering now. It's all, it's it's been ruined. Triggering has been ruined. <laughs> Trigger I'm triggered by triggering because it's yeah, I'm, yeah, it's all just triggering now. I mean I mean, Molly, you know this separate from like my own mental health reasons, but like just mm-hmm. the way I physically present and like <laughs> Uh, for somebody as actually introverted as me, I am very easy at faking being an extrovert. And I sort yep. of created 
my own armor over the years. When I go out, I wear sometimes some pretty crazy looks and I know that everyone's staring at me. And like in my head, I'm very aware that like I'm getting attention, but I'm also very aware that when I'm getting attention for certain things, there's no opportunity for people to focus on what's beneath those surfaces and those layers of distraction. My entire life have been told, you know, that I'm too much. It's one thing when you hear it from like the strangers who were saying it about like the physical that compounded with the people in your day-to-day life who are like, oh no, you are too much. It's too much work. Friendship shouldn't always be so heavy. That is equally as frustrating. I live for the fantasy and the illusion, but uh, so many people who are queer now just try to live their life being like the type of person that they wish they had when they were younger. There's something in life in general about taking all the things that you were told were like weaknesses and things you were supposed to change. And then waking up one day and realizing like, oh no, those things I was told to change are actually my superpowers. And like, those are the things that uh, will help me navigate the world around me. That is sometimes a little bit harder when like, I know for me, like, oh, I want to use my queerness to navigate the world around me. But at like every turn and every corner, there's also like the BPD aspect Mm -hmm. of it that it's like, wait a second, is queerness my superpower or am I delusional? And uh, because of this, I'm going to test everybody in my life by asking them, so what are your real thoughts about me? And it's like, it, mm. it it's this like never ending cycle. And um, th- I have other mental health diagnoses and I'm, I, I am on medication, but I, I take uh, an ADHD medication. Mm-hmm. And so on like on one hand, I wake up in the morning, I take my medication and it's like, it helps me really focus. And uh, when that hits, I'm like very euphoric. And like, I, I, I kid you not, there are some days where I wake up and the second my medicine hits, I want to text every person, every person who's ever done me wrong and, and be like, love ya. And then it's like, the, <laughs> it's like the second, the medication, um, like has uh, been in my body and I'm actually going through the day. It's like, it's not just like, oh, I feel good. And then I feel bad. It's like, I feel like I'm at the top and then suddenly I'm at the way bottom. There's no gray. It's like extremely black and And white. And it's so tiring living in those extremes. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Ooh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Let me ask everyone else. Do you think I should have done that? And then at the end of the day, you're just like, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if what any of these decisions were based upon like my genuine, what is my genuine thought? No, to, I mean, I've had friends who like their phones have died and because their phones died, they couldn't text me. Hey, I'm like running uh, late. I'll hit you up later. And, you know, I'll say, Hey, like want to hang today? I won't, I won't get an answer. <laughs> duh. Cause the phone's dead. And by the time they call me back five hours later, or like on FaceTime, they'll be like, what did you do? And like, I'm looking at them with half an eyebrow, half of my head is shaved. <laughs> and I, you know, it sounds crazy. Um, I, I wrote a song about it called impulsive, but it's like, oops, my bad. And it, it, it's not, it's not great. Um, that like- reminds me of literally, I am currently growing out a COVID mullet because Zaz last year where this Zaz is like, whenever you go, as you do, Zaz is like, whenever you go in the bathroom, well, this is like a year ago when I was in a really dark place. He's like, whenever you'd go in the bathroom and it would get really quiet and you'd be in there for three hours, like I would be terrified of what was going to come out. Like if I was doing some, and for sure I would come out and then also I would always come out going like, why did I do this? 
And also, oh, actually, here's the thing. It, you, what you actually do when you come out of the bathroom after COVID mullet chop, you go, it looks good, right? Like, see, I was really going for, do you see? And then an hour later, mm-hmm. that's when the regret, are you sure it looks good? <laughs> uh, well, see, uh, uh, because of the way I physically have chosen to present over the years, it's very hard for people to know if something's intentional or not. Mm-hmm. And because of it, like I will, I've done some like awful looking things and people have been like, yeah, but I didn't know it was a mistake. Cause like, it's so you and like, you can rock it. And like, on one hand, I'm like, well, thanks because that does save me like some stress, but like, I look <laughs> back at some of these like things that I've done and I'm just like, why? Why did people lie to me? Why was I allowed out of the house? Why why did I think it was okay for me to shave my entire head with the exception of a front bang? And and it's like, uh, yeah, I can like ingest to it now. But like, trust me, when you're living through that and it's like, thank God I'm able to use humor and like sassy one-liners. But the fact that over a text, I like drastically altered my appearance is shocking. But the thing is, it's so funny. I'm literally crying because I can just imagine you walking out with a front bang. I don't want anyone to ever see these photos, but because we're on the phone right now, um, I will show you these pics. I so what while you're while you're bringing up the photos, I have pulled people on the Instagram account. One of the things that you don't hear talked about with BPD because they don't put it in the textbooks is the shit we do to our appearance and hair like drastic appearance changes, drastic hair changes. And then they're always, they're always really impulsive. And then they're always like deeply regretted afterwards. And the the pattern is this. I, I decide I wanted to make a change, obsessive research for maybe five hours. I need to do X thing to my body today, do X thing, go out to everyone and be like, look, aren't you, you it's did amazing. Research. I wish. Oh, oh no. But I, I, when I say research, I mean, just like look at Pinterest for like five hours. I feel like normal gays, they just like bleach their hair when they're like going through it. Um, But I know that for me, it's like on a fully another level. Uh, As I said, yes, I make music and, but I have a song called Impulsive, which is literally about this. And the lyrics to the first verse are, I need a one way ticket out of my head or any reason to get out of my bed. If I bleach or shave off all my hair, I'm so erratic, but self-aware. I know it's crazy. I cut holes in my clothes. Everyone's medicated. Give me a dose. I got a tattoo just because I like the pain and feeling something, but I'm not insane. In a panic, I'm manic. I need a manicure. I'm pretty and petty. I'll get a pedicure. I'm empty. I'm messy. Is there any cure? I need a change. I'm way too impulsive. I need some control and I want to feel anything, anything at all. I want you to notice. So I would do anything, anything at all. Is that like really just like nails the experience too? Also, do you like my nail pun because of the man? Yeah. Oh, honey. Yeah. Yeah. See Uh, what I did there. Where were you in your life when you wrote that song? It was, I want to say it was like the way, way, way beginning of the pandemic. And I was with two of my friends who are amazing pop artists and songwriters. And I was really going through it. It was, I I think I had just like done something wild to my hair (laughs) and my eyebrows. And on top of it, um, the Australian fires were happening at the time. Mm -hmm. And I remember being like, the world is literally on fire. Yeah. I, I needed, I need a distraction. I need some adrenaline. And I just like 
want to feel like I, because I can't control anything, I like want to make a song about the fact that the things I can control, such as the way I look, uh, what I'm feeling in regards to like pain or pain yeah. that I'm inflicting on myself. And I was just like, I impulsive it is. All the, I mean, here we are. And, and it turns out I'm equally <laughs> as impulsive. But yeah, that is what inspired that song. At this point, some of my friends are like so unfazed and the only time that like my friends are really like, oh, why'd you do that? Is like when a friend of mine is like, who's creative is like, I really wanted you to grow your hair out because I had this like cool idea for something we could do. And I'm like, yeah, I'm fully on board. And then <laughs> three weeks later, they're like, why are you bald? And I'm like, no, I know that we were going to do that, but we have to push it back because I accidentally went into the bathroom. And even though intellectually I knew this was such a bad idea, I felt this impulse to take up like the blade and buzz my entire head and it is it is not very fun what happens to you in those moments like we can laugh about it afterwards and it is fucking hilarious quite frankly and it's a really good story to tell but when you're in that moment what are you what makes you go to the bathroom and want to just shave your head even though you know it's not going to be a good outcome Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome. Do you know who Hannah Gatsby is? From Summer House? Mm, Maybe. Why am I thinking of a Bravo person? Oh, Oh, no, hell, definitely not. She is a uh, stand-up comedian who did this stand-up special um, that, like, was extremely successful in the first half of it. it oh, my God. I just I just Googled Hannah Gatsby, and I know exactly who you're talking about now, and the fact that I mistook her for a Bravo person is even funnier now. I mean, but work. Um <laughs> the reason her first special is successful is because the first half she tells all these stories that are so funny. And then the second half, she sort of tells the truth about those stories and why they're maybe not so funny. And the reason they're funny is because she's able to like make herself the joke and like relieve the tension that she's created with the art, with the audience. And by the second half, it's like, I'm not going to do that anymore. And it's like, I feel like in this discussion, I have a very easy time being self-deprecating and like turning like the my like trauma responses into what I I'm I'm aware that it is funny like I I can look at the way I have uh drastically affected my appearance and be like oh my god like that is psychotic uh not psychotic behavior maybe it's okay 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 
Okay. Uh, it's what can, it's what people would say is psychotic. Like, oh, you're crazy, right? Yeah, and yeah. It's we like know no, where you're going. Nobody's going to jump on what you're saying. No, you would not expect anyone in your life to like see that you now have shaved half of your head and yes. barely have eyebrows. Nobody would expect like, oh, word. Also, it's like that. <laughs> that, that 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 is a little jarring. Um, and I get that. Uh, and so, yeah, I I can easily make things funny. Uh, yes. And ma- when I'm the butt of the joke, who's there for little Jared who did that to himself in the bathroom? You know what I mean? Totally. There's no one there for little that little Jared. Everyone goes, ha ha, it's a Jared thing, you know, but it's like you're you're not there for the hurt part of yeah. you. Yeah. And I think that on top of it, one one way that I will admit to being sort of manipulative is hmm. in, in that I have been able to manipulate everyone around me into thinking that I'm extremely high functioning. When something comes up that, you know, triggers me to have a BPD reaction that maybe is not logical because I am perceived as being, you know, such a normal person who is quote unquote self-aware, it's like, wait, so this came out of left field. And it's like, no, this entire time, it's like me getting a text back from someone, I I could feel euphoric. And so it's like me looking at, you know, someone's Instagram story and realizing that I wasn't invited to a hangout when in reality, the reason I wasn't invited was probably because I didn't say, Hey, what's up tonight? Um, It's like, it's like, it triggers the immediate feeling of abandonment. And also like self-hatred, right? Where you're like, see, everyone hates you. No one actually really wants you around. It's only when you force yourself on people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And it gets (laughs) to a point when it's maybe I'm not included because when every time I'm there, I'm too much. Mm. And it's like, okay, even if that's what my inner saboteur is saying, I'm then fueling it. And by sometimes maybe even being too much by saying, am I too much? Feelings that people wouldn't have had. I, I feel so insecure about them that I probably end up convincing those people, those things in my life. I feel like all the people who have at times like become my quote unquote favorite person, they've sort of been codependent relationships, but codependent, whereas I was like emotionally dependent on them. And the other person was not really dependent upon, uh, dependent on me, but just, I became such like a routine part of their life that it was like, mm-hmm. oh no, we love seeing each other. And like, I, they feel dependent on me, but not in the same way that I do. It's like, they don't emotionally feel dependent yeah. on me. It's just like, no, I'm their person. Like not, yeah. oh, I'm their textbook favorite person. It's just like, no, that's my person. The way that a lot of people like would describe any good friend. And it's sort of like, okay, when I've had a falling out with those people who have been my favorite person, it's like, okay, that person's walking away saying, oh, Jared's annoying this, that, and the other. I'm walking away feeling like I'm mourning the death of someone. Yeah. And and it's really hard because when you present to somebody who is so high functioning, it's sometimes hard for the other person to realize that like, no, I'm not feeling it. that way it's like I actually am feeling deep emotional pain to like that is comparable to grief I think that regardless of any diagnosis from a doctor I think that's something that is very um, much a shared experience for most humans is that we're all cruelest to the people we love the most so whether whether it be like 
a parent, like I know that I would never talk to a friend sometimes the way that I talk to my parents when I'm mad. And I think, and I know that's like a shared experience. I have this best friend and, you know, every uh, few years we sort of take a little friendship break because, you know, we have some sort of fight. And as I said, it's very much uh, a a standard thing that people are cruel to the ones that they love. But when you have borderline personality disorder, uh, experiencing cruelness is, is felt very, very differently. So like there have been times where when we've taken that break, I knew, I know that I'm right for being upset because <laughs> I'm dealing with somebody who's saying cruel things out of anger, regardless of the fact that they're saying it because of how close we are. And again, it's this gaslighting thing where it's like, no, any <laughs> rational person would uh, know that it's not okay to be talked to that way. However, just because you're right and standing up for yourself and saying, I'm not going to take that doesn't change the fact that the way you're feeling it is so much worse. Mm. And that, that is, you know, one thing that I've noticed in my life. But another thing I've noticed specifically since I've moved to LA, and thankfully I've uh, worked on this, but I'm sure everyone's surprised to hear that there are definitely narcissistic people who live in Los Angeles. Oh my God, Uh, really? Yeah. In a city where everybody (laughs) themselves wants to become a brand and make a living off of being themselves. I'm sure we're surprised to hear that, but I found myself uh, in like uh, quite a few different uh, friendships where at the time uh, people who were very narcissistic became my favorite people and the reason favorite person and mm-hmm. the reason uh, this was so damaging is because uh, that little dose of serotonin and euphoria that I, mm-hmm. I I feel when I'm you know being praised even if it's the bare minimum by somebody who's narcissistic is you know when someone's narcissistic uh, their world is consumed by themselves so when they even if it's just for two sentences, uh, are willing to give the attention that they give themselves and give it to you, it feels that much better. It's yes. like, and it's like, oh my God, this person who is so caught up only in themselves, I was able to break that barrier. And they, yeah. they may have said something like, oh, you're funny. We should hang out sometime. But like in my <laughs> brain, I'm like, oh my God, this person loves yes. me. And then it's your personal challenge to have those moments happen again. You know uh, what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, so, you, oh, I'm going to test this person. And yep. uh, again, something else that I'm sure is very shocking, but people who are narcissistic probably also are dealing with some other mental health issues. And it's it becomes this really uh, volatile uh, combination where you're where I was just setting myself up for heartbreak by befriending people who we're giving the bare minimum and I would do these tests and I wouldn't even be met with the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And I would feel like it was my fault and I was unlovable. The big healer, you know, is time, but regardless of how much time is needed for me to like move on from narcissistic people, it doesn't change <laughs> the fact that like when that initial friendship breakup happens, it feels like your world is crashing down. What is the lowest point? that you've had with your BPD. For me in LA is just like my time where I was suicidal and I had to call my mom and I literally called my mom, it was two and a half years ago. And I just said, I'm having suicidal thoughts. I haven't made a plan. 
but like I'm calling you because I don't know what I'm going to do. And I've isolated myself to the point where I don't leave my bed. My dog is like the only reason why I'm living. Like I remember sitting in my bed and going, I'm too scared to kill myself. I don't know how I would do it. The only reason I don't want to kill myself is because I do not want to do this to my mom and my sister and my dog. Like I imagined my dog, like I'm getting dark right now, but like I imagined my dog like walking around my body after I killed myself. And quite frankly, that's, that's the only thing that made me not want to die. There was a, not a single shred of me that thought that I was worth it. So I say that saying like, I'm opening up like, what's your darkest time if you're willing to go there? Because it's like, yeah, that was my darkest time where it's like, I really actually hated myself so much. I couldn't think of one good reason for myself that I should be alive. You know, I only thought about how other my the burden of my death would impact my fucking dog. <laughs> that was the best I could do. <laughs> oh, look, now I'm tearing. No, uh, we're we're here to be vulnerable. I know mm-hmm. that the anyone listening to this podcast is already coming in uh, with understanding. There was a period in my life where I was suicidal, but when I think about like what my lowest point was, I wouldn't even say it was then because I would say that my lowest point wasn't, you know, when I was actually suicidal. A couple of years ago, uh, I had just uh, stopped working for like one of the jobs that I had. And I uh, was looking at my bank account and it was to the point where it was like, okay, I could spend this money to do laundry or I could have lunch. And I was at a, I was sort of living, I was barely surviving. I had lost so much weight and I was smoking hookah every single day, which I know that it's like, that's such like a random thing to like be like Mm. a self-destructive habit. But like, I wasn't looking for new jobs. I was just sitting there smoking every day, all day. I was uh, pretending like I had stomach pain so that I could like excuse myself in the restroom. And I was like intensely cutting and Mm. I would like wear even more extreme, uh, outfits so that I could cover up the bruises. My thoughts were consumed, not with how I would actually do it, but like the thought of me being gone. There were many a drunk night where, you know, some people, when they're drunk, they just like say like kooky things. I was at a point where like we would be at the bar and like somebody would be like, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, uh, unfortunately, I'm feeling and I wish I wasn't. Ugh, mm. I hope I died. And, and like crazy, yeah. crazy, dark things that if anyone heard, they'd be so alarmed. Why do you think Darkness. you were saying that? Was it a moment like where you were kind of like hoping someone would hear the pain there? Because I can relate to that. I always get frustrated talking about this because like I don't think that like people cut for attention. No. But I think that when people cut, it is a sign to the people around them that maybe they need some attention and a little extra love. And it's it's not being done because we want the attention, but it is clearly a sign that like we are feeling something and yes. it's it's almost easier for us to inflict this type of pain because this is a pain that like we know where it's coming from. And it's sometimes better to like know what, an intense physical pain is coming from than it is to have such a crippling pain that is because of something that you can't see. There was many a friend who tried to have like interventions for me. And since that point, I've, I've definitely relapsed mm. and I call it relapsing because I have a 
very addictive personality. It's the reason why I'm like very uh, adamant about not experimenting with certain drugs. And it's like, no, it's because I know I'll like them. And I know I have an addictive personality. And it's like, in, or- in order for me to not smoke hookah every day, I switch to vaping. And yep. it's like, uh, okay, uh, you know what, it, I would rather this be the addictive action that I have as opposed to me being addicted to like getting scissors and going into a bathroom and like walking out looking like some sort of science experiment. I remember last time I visited my family at home, my dad like made like a a normal parent statement, which was, I would love for you to stop vaping because it's not good for you. And I laughed and he was like, why are you laughing? And I was like, because I don't want to. And my mom was like, that is such a disrespectful thing. You're not even going to say, okay, I'll try. But my mom was like, a normal person would say to their parent, you're right. I know this is not healthy and I'm going to stop. And I just started laughing and my parents and even my twin sister was like, our parents are saying like, this is bad for you. You should stop. And instead of saying, yes, you're sitting there giggling, like you're some sort of evil genius. And uh, eventually I like, we were, I remember we were in a public restaurant and I shouldn't have, but I did make a scene and I like slammed my head, my hands on the, on the table. And I said, do you really want to explain to me or want me to explain to you why I won't quit? And my mom was like, yeah, I would love to hear what you have to say. And I was like, my entire life, I've had a very self-destructive personality and it's no secret that I have dabbled in self-harm. And you know what? I know that this isn't good for me, but I know that if I'm not doing this, what I would be doing is much worse. And the fact that I've been able to like transfer all of these like seriously long-term dangerous, dangerous things to something as, you know, innocent as me vaping. It's like, I know it's not good for me, but I do know that it's better for me than the other things that I could be doing. And if this has become the outlet, it's like, no, I don't, I don't want to try and stop because I'm much more scared of what I would do instead once I stop. Your dad saying, why don't you just stop smoking your vape? It's so much more than just a vape. You have weighed the pros and cons. You're like, yeah, I probably know that it's not super healthy for me. I don't think it's like a shot of of wheat grass. Like I'm aware of what I'm doing, (laughs) but it's like, are you aware of what I would be doing if it wasn't this? When I said that, my mom was the one who was like, well, why didn't you just say it that way instead of giggling like you're some sort of evil genius at the table? And I, I'll, I'll give her that. Like, yeah, if, fair. When, a, when a parent is being concerned and is saying, I want you to stop this bad behavior, and it, instead of explaining why you don't want to, I can totally understand how <laughs> me giggling and saying no is like infuriating. <laughs> and again, I get that. Um, yes. But, you know, regardless, uh, when I said that, I think, I'm not even sure that my dad followed the entire like conversation, but based on the way that my mom and my sister were like, oh, okay, you, you, you do your vape now that my dad yes. was like, okay, I'll pick this fight again in a few months. But for right now, I guess it's done. I'm going to get a little Freudian because I noticed like, you know, when your dad says that, what is your relationship to authority? You know, it's so funny because on one hand, it's like, I'm, I am non-confrontational. And as I said, I, I'm the first one to punish myself over lashing out. Yeah. However, at the same time, I have a huge problem with authority, like in all senses of the word to the point that like, um, again, I, 
I'm queer. I'm sure no one's surprised. I'm a progressive liberal person, but yeah. like uh, the the more intense that all the rhetoric has become, it's now at a point where I'm like, I get more infuriated by when my own side is telling me like what is like what is wrong think and what you can and can't say that yeah. like I I almost it makes me want to lash out at my own people who I do agree with just because I'm like how dare you tell me that like if I was to have a thought that yes. it was that just that thought was was causing you literal harm or literal violence and again uh, even thoughts that I wouldn't have it's like no, I don't, how dare you police my thoughts? Even yes. though like, yeah, I'm thankfully in this with like whatever the case was at the time, thankfully we are on the same side. Mm-hmm. But what what would happen if there was an issue where maybe I didn't agree with you? Like mm-hmm. is is the level of acceptability for uh, like what is in the Overton window of what is and is not acceptable to feel? Like yes. when that narrows down, uh, how dare you tell me that I'm not allowed to think something? When I grew up, my parents, I was very extra always, like always extra, always feeling too much. And my parents were, I had one parent who was extremely volatile emotionally growing up. And so our whole family had to kind of adjust itself around that one parent's mood. And I was extra. And so I wanted to call out the injustice that I saw and I wanted my my needs to be attended to. I wanted to be the center of attention when I wanted to as a kid, which as a kid, technically you should be the center of attention. And I was caught up in the toxic, emotionally abusive dynamic of my parents and who we've I've since had a mending relationship with. And like we talk about it, all my basic needs were met as a child. I, I am so privileged, like in terms, in so many ways, but I truly believe that I was raised in an environment where I saw everything that was not right, but then I was made to feel like I was nuts and I should just shut up about it. I don't know if that's re- uh, resonating with you in any way. It, it really does resonate. And I want to say that my parents are both two incredible people. I have a very uh, tricky relationship. And because they are such good people, I am cautious about going into specifics. My view of parents is parents really were doing the best with what they had. But I also think there's power in as adults, us being able to kind of speak to the reality of how things were. I'm uh, sure I'm sure your mom and dad are amazing people and we're doing the best with what I, they I just had. I just know that they will probably end up listening to this. And so I get it. But I will say that without being too specific, I'm sure it's no surprise that BPD doesn't come out of nowhere. Uh, yeah, it's not it doesn't happen in a vacuum. <laughs> yeah. So there's definitely a chance, whether diagnosed or not, that there's a genetic component. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine that in a household where there's more than one person who potentially um, has these extreme black and white thoughts that there's a lot of splitting that goes on. As I said, I'm a quiet borderline, except for in my nuclear family home. That's where- Oh my God, that is the same for me. And I feel like we just touched on a fire point that a lot of people are going to say like, ding dong. My friend Melanie goes, that's a ding dong moment. But it is like, I feel like so many of us adult borderlines are quiet, high functioning borderlines. And then the moment we're in our family, that's where we are at the explosive borderline. Yeah. And I have said some disgustingly cruel things to my parents when I was angry. In my head, it's always justified because 
I was reacting to something that I truly felt was equally as disgusting. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the quote unquote manipulative behavior that exists, at least it existed in my house was when, you know, the parent who um, potentially uh, maybe had some similar mental health issues as me, uh, being a queer kid uh, already, like not being the child that necessarily is straight father Mm -hmm. thought he was going to have a father who has this idea of like what respect is in a family and Mm -hmm. that, you know, in the family, the father is like the wise one who makes that like who, who says what's right and wrong. And whether this just be because it was me personally or because of the queer lens that I look through life, but I'm question, I question everything. And so nothing that I was told like is a truth. Uh, I, I will accept to be a truth unless I f- agree with it. So in my life, there's been a lot of times where I've been like, well, actually you're wrong. And w- regardless of if it was right or wrong, you know, my parent, my dad found that to be disrespectful. And, you know, I, I won't hold my tongue, but uh, it's a surprise that becomes much more volatile and it feels a lot more like World War III in the household when, you know, my dad and I are going at it, but it's no longer between my dad and I. And it becomes, you know, as far as my dad's concerned, uh, to my sister and my mom, can you tell Jared? And it's like now the entire family dynamic at this dinner will be on me because yeah. I could stay true to my to my ground and like defend myself. But ruin everyone else's night. And I know that it will be taken out on the other members of my family, or I could like swallow my pride and say no. And when I was younger and before I was actually out of the closet, I was already dressing uh, really over the top. And for some reason, my dad always viewed uh, the way that I was presenting as me doing it to him Mm -hmm. because he didn't like it but that doesn't mean that it was being done to him. And he thought like everything I did was me instigating it. And I felt like anytime I left the house, he'd say to my mom, you know, can you tell Jared to change? Be like to my sister, can you tell Jared he looks ridiculous? And when you've convinced yourself that yes, maybe like to my dad, it was just a t-shirt. But like when to me, I'm I'm not just being asked to change a t-shirt, I'm being asked to change who I am. Yes. It, it changes the dynamic because I'm hearing it as you have to change who you are or else I'm not going to love you. The two options in my head are say, no, this is who I am. It's up to you if you want to love me or not. Or I love the other members of my family and I now have to decide if I want to be the martyr and sacrifice my yeah. mental health for the sake of protecting them. And I mean, I'm a mama's boy. I don't want my mom to cry. I don't want my mom to be the one to like feel the angry wrath of my dad for not getting his way to clarify, never physical. And I, but- I'm, in, I'm in the same, my dad grew up in an extremely physically abusive environment growing up. So for my dad to not be physically abused. My dad had a lot of anger issues growing up and he'll admit it now. He and I have had really healing talks about it. My dad admits that he thinks he's that he was classic borderline and he's calmed down in his older age. And I, I see that in him as well. I struggled with the same thing as you did, where it was like, are you really going to wear that? Or are you really going to date that person? You know what I mean? And I felt like I doubled down on everything because I was like, oh, so if I do, if I literally wear something or if I date someone, you're not going to love me. Okay, fine. So I'm going to just test that because you're supposed to love me no matter what. 
Totally. And I feel <laughs> like a lot of my life and the way that I've experienced the world around me uh, stems from that exact dynamic in my household. And it's so hard because I, I've had this talk with my mom as I've gotten older, but so much of the volatility in my house and like the yelling, it did stem from like trying to stifle uh, my, not like actively stifling my queerness in the sense of, oh, you can't be this person. But like, as far as my parents were concerned, they wanted me to change because they didn't think that the world was going to change. And they <laughs> genuinely wanted me to have what they thought would be an easier life. But what they didn't realize was that who I was wasn't going to change and it was already going to be a hard life. So it just got harder. I just was talking about in the last episode, like John Bradshaw is one of my favorite people in mental health. He passed away in 2016, but his whole entire life was done with work around toxic shame. He was working with shame before Brene Brown was working with shame. A good enough parent, as they say in therapy, right? That's like some, no one is a perfect parent, but a good enough parent doesn't pass on their own toxic shame onto their child and say like, here, here it is. My favorite meme is like, basically it's like a little, or it's like an illustration where there's a mom and she's standing out. It's like a 1950s mom and she's standing outside her house and there's a little girl and she's looking up at her mom and her mom and there's like all these suitcases and it says like generational trauma, like shame and all this stuff. And then she goes, here you go. This is yours now. And the little girl is just literally trying to play. And she's like, what? Like, how am I supposed to deal with all of this shit that's not mine? And I feel like our parents were trying to, it's like, this isn't mine. I'm not ashamed of me. Exactly. And on one hand, I'm like, I have the right to be angry. I don't have the right to spread my anger to other people. But like, it, it brings me back to Hannah Gatsby again. She has this quote. She said, I didn't come out to my grandmother uh, before she passed away because I'm still ashamed of who I am. Not intellectually, but uh, in my heart, I still have shame. And you learn from the part of the story that you focus on. And mm. her her point was, uh, her point was, uh, again, it's one thing to intellectually know something. It's another to feel it. But when, when you grow up um, being told that, like, again, something that maybe in life you use as your superpower, but uh, growing up when you're told that it's like something that is just not okay and it's something that you need to change and it's a you problem, even if intellectually you can recognize that that's not the case, that doesn't mean that it, it feels that way. And it's like, I have often in my life been misperceived as being a cocky, not even cocky, but confident person. Mm -hmm. And I uh, my friend Ollie said this to me, it's not confidence, it's conviction. And it's like, I'm not dressing up because I'm so confident. And like, I want to be perceived by everyone as like this larger than life person. I mean, I guess in some ways, like when it's music and I'm on stage, totally. But a, a lot of what it is, is this conviction that I refuse to change mm -hmm. for the sake of other people. And even if I'm not confident, how dare anybody take away what should be my right to yes. express myself? The whole world kind of has borderline right now. Like it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, totally. It's like, <laughs> uh, it, it's like as the same people who are abolishing the gender binary are the first ones to say, no, there's good and evil. And yeah. anybody who uh, has quote unquote wrong think, I mean, something that has really helped me is, I love listening to podcasts and I, I love listening to debates um, on issues where 
I'm often already on one side of the mm-hmm. equation, but I love listening to debates, not from like the political people who are there to operate on one side of the aisle, but I love listening to academics debate who legitimately believe operating in good faith, the opposite is of me. And yes, I, I mean, I also watch The View every day. And, you know, while so many yeah. people were like so upset that Meghan McCain left, I I or was were so happy that she left. I was actually really upset because I would like to like have an understanding of what other people believe that I don't necessarily agree with. But it's like, very important. Yeah, because it's just irrational to think that half of the world who doesn't agree with you is actively evil. And so yes. the best you can do is like come up with your own thoughts once you hear like the the genuinely like the genuine arguments on both sides and then make up your mind. But uh, as a culture, that doesn't sell. That doesn't get close. No, it doesn't. And you know, I think that you bring up a really powerful point as people with BPD living in a world that's black and white. It's almost like we have to work extra hard. Yes, it sucks that we're living in this black and white world, but it's like, how can we in every day, it's what Jared is saying, like, watch the programs that you do operate in the world, but be thinking like, is that person thinking in black and white? Like what's the opposite of what they think? Who's paying that person? Or do they, you know what I mean? Is that what's their background? I would be much more likely to take someone else's advice on what I should do rather than what my intuition says I should do. I some We trust others so much more than we trust ourselves. And so in a culture that's splitting on itself so much, it's like be very careful taking people's advice because a lot of people are just fucking scared animals, anxious people that are just like blurting out a very polarized view. You have to really take a stand to be a critical thinker now. Totally. And the neurological pathways that like carry our thoughts and like our ideas of self-worth, they don't develop the same way when as a child, like you're soaked in shame. When that is like planted in your brain for me and like my queer identity, it grows and it spreads even when intellectually, like, you know, certain things, it's really hard when intellectually you understand that you have the right to exist, but you don't actually feel that. And then that being compounded with seeing the world around you, being able to recognize that like certain things need to be changed. However, that doesn't mean that the things that need to be changed are a binary of you better think this or you better (laughs) think that. It's like, as a person, it's so overwhelming. And then like that, on top of the fact that like my actual interpersonal relationships are volatile on top of the fact that like, you know, for me personally, I have, you know, like my career as an artist. And then like, I also have random side hustles because we got to pay our bills. And it's like, Oh my God, I get to a point where I'm like, I, I don't want to do anything besides sit and cry. Yes. I was about to say like, where do you find peace now? There's nowhere to find an inner sense of peace either. And I think that is central to our recovery from BPD because you're getting all of these messages from outside and we take them all so seriously. It's so important to create space for ourselves to listen to that inner voice inside, to get our to take space to think about what's going in our on in our life and and say, what is my heart telling me? Because you are in a fellow a- LA person. I was living in London before LA. And I feel like when you get I lived caught in up, London, but we didn't know each other then. I know we really like, we were missing each other in these spots. We also know a lot of the same people, London people, which is how like, we linked yes. But, uh, 
how I feel is like you when you're we're living in the city and we're do, we're you know you you go to parties you're hanging out with with people that are movers and shakers and all of these I hate the phrase movers and shakers but it's, it's like you're hobnobbing with the elites. you're hobnobbing yeah. with the with the elites mm-hmm. um no but you know like you you're doing the city thing and then you're you're trying to pay your bills and it can feel like that's what life is but then for me when I decided to up and move LA a year and a half ago. And when my BPD recovery journey really happened, I sat in my bed in my apartment in LA. Like I didn't have any savings. I, I was just like, I sat and I was like, I have never ever in my life sat and just like been okay with my thoughts. And when I did, it actually really scared me. Like I was like, oh my God, like I'm really afraid of the silence. I'm afraid of when I when I stop, the thoughts that come out actually freak me totally. out. It's like it's like that's why like I often I'm the last one at the party. Like mm-hmm. even though like I'm I'm in, I'm aware that like no, you should leave while you're still wanted. It's like I there was a period of time where like I told my parents I was going out every night because I was doing networking. When in reality, <laughs> I there was no networking going on. I was already friends with all the people I went out with. And uh, yeah, I mean, my network was expanding and like professionally, (laughs) I was totally like uh, meeting people who like were definitely great for me to meet, but it didn't change the fact that I was going out because I was self-destructive and I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts. Um, And it's the reason why like I'm often scared to live alone. Yeah. Um, Same. the one thing that has really been able to keep me grounded since college um, or even since high school, uh, I'm a creature of habit and my routine is everything to me. Um, What I've always done is I always wake up three hours before like whatever my first thing is. So Mm -hmm. during the work week, uh, I wake up every day at 6am. I -hmm. like take my 20 minute shower. I then go for a hour and a half walk um, to, I, it's a walk to get coffee where I, like, I see my morning people, my morning crew, and then I just like do my laps. And when I'm home, it means driving to get my coffee, but like then driving a little aimlessly for a little bit, which is great, um, for the gas tank and for the climate, my bad. That's one of the things that when I'm home, you know, my dad, uh, is always like, you don't live here. I, I want to like go with you on your, like your morning walk or on your morning drive. And I'm and like, you're like, no. like, dude, like, I need no. my fucking sanity. And my dad like always takes it personally. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. Like, I'm not doing it to you just because you don't like it. I, you can, you have all day to be with me, but because it's my me, it's like my me time to my dad. It's like, that's why I want to be there because it's such a big, a big part of your life. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I don't sit and meditate in the conventional sense, but this like, this morning uh, process routine that I have is like the one thing that uh, allows me to have some normalcy in my life that like, it's something that in a world where I can't control much, it's something that I can control. Um, And so that is one way that like, I'm able to like, I don't want to say be present with my thoughts because the main reason that like I go on my walk is I listen to my music, but that's equally as transformative for me. Um, When I'm, when I'm not in ruts, it involves like a lot of uh, being creative and writing and recording. Uh, Unfortunately, this past couple of months, I, uh, I haven't been in that headspace, but I feel it coming back, thankfully. And it's, it's all in the, it's all in seasons though. We forget that 
creativity is actually something that has, it's like a seasonal thing. Like you thinking about it, like being a farmer, you know, like sometimes you have to plant the seed. There there are times of rest. There are times to like harvest. There's two seasons, depression (laughs) as in seasonal depression. Yeah. Creative. Yeah. Um, um, speaking of binary, those are those are the two genders: yeah. depression and creation. Creative I mean, depression yeah. and creation are, are, are how we identify. Yeah, those this are is my how pronouns. we identify. Uh, okay, <laughs> listeners, that was a, that was a joke. So oh, again, I love our, the listeners of this podcast are seriously so fucking great because I feel like we found like a tiny little corner of the internet or created it, I guess. I started the podcast, but I like the, the people who have congregated and also people who have BPD. Like we just get it. It is so hard to explain to somebody who knows nothing about it. On one hand, I have like some friends who've been like, like, what are you doing with your life? Like you haven't been productive. Like you can't stay in bed. And I'm like, the fact that I got out of bed to go on my morning walk yes. is a victory. And I will yes. not allow you to tell me I can't celebrate it. Well, in this capitalist society that we live in, we all are glad, everyone glamorizes being busy. And it's, we're at a point where like, it's, if, if you're not being productive, you're not, you're not being effective. And that to me is just not true. If everyone was always productive in the short term, I'm sure the results are great, but in the long term, you burn out so much quicker and so and, much faster. And I mean, again, even when I'm not productive, sometimes, like <laughs> sometimes when I'm doing a little too much self care and me time, I'm still <laughs> yeah. burning myself out. But like a lot of that could just be the general human experience. Some of it could be the BPD and like the feeling everything at such extremes. At least as I've gotten older, I just turned 28 a couple of weeks ago. And I'm like, again, I know I'm older by any means, but you understand. I I have a little bit more wisdom, more than I had in my youth to say that like, ultimately I know for my own journey. And while I can ask other people for help, I, I know what like is best for me. And there are certain things that I'm, I will refuse to compromise on that. We have a hard time doing that with BPD. What are the things that you've decided that you won't compromise on? The way I present myself, the way I dress, for example, or like Mm -hmm. my personality or my interests, like even if to some people they're outlandish, even if they make other family members of mine, you know, uncomfortable. It's like there were certain things that are like non-negotiable. That being said, that doesn't change the fact that like even for somebody who dresses extremely avant-garde, like uh, Lady Gaga is probably the most mainstream example. Gaga during the day is obviously not going to dress the same that she would on a red carpet, even though it's always her. So it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that doesn't mean that I will be disrespectful. And I remember being at a, a funeral for someone in my family who passed away. And I remember somebody coming up to me and saying, thank you for being respectful and not like wearing like fishnets here. And in my head, I, I, I was just so flabbergasted because it's like, yeah, I will always dress like myself, but on what planet do you think I would wear fishnets to a family member's funeral? Hello, can you give me a little bit of grace? Do you think that I am so out of touch that I'm going to be like wearing 12 inch platforms, a veil and like an underwear to a funeral? Like, I mean, work. 
uh, I mean, maybe at the funeral for my high school bullies. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, they... <laughs> I mean, that that did used to be a meme, like me arriving at the funeral of like my haters, <laughs> and it's like a nude girl and like a chiffon. Anywho, um, <laughs> but that is something I won't. Uh, I would. I will not negotiate on. I'm now like at a place where I'm like, no, if I know that I'm right in something, I, I will not apologize for the sake of keeping the peace. I, I may apologize for uh, how someone felt about it, but like, I, I, if I know something to be the case, it's like, nope, I, I, you will not get me to apologize. Uh, and, and I uh, want to call out, I really want to call out how powerful that is because for so many of us who grew up, right, having to go to swallow our thoughts when we thought something was wrong, whether that be something as small as like how our parents spoke to us or anything like that, any chance we get to be able to assert that is so powerful, even if it's just in your own mind. Whoever that person was that said to you, like, thank you for not wearing the fishnets. How did you respond to that? I think in the moment I was so caught off guard and on top of it because it was a family member's funeral that like I didn't I like really didn't have time to address it. I think I probably was like uh-huh, and then like I kept walking. But <laughs> if it was like not in that setting um, and there were less people, actually, I probably wouldn't have even tried to like be sassy back at her. I would probably have this like internal desire to explain to her. Yes. Like, as, like, as if I need a stranger's approval, I would probably go out of my way still to feel the need to explain why I wouldn't so that I could have the approval. There are these two opposing beliefs that exist in my brain where like the creator side of me is like, I want to be as extremely polarizing as possible because <laughs> like if yeah. uh, not for the sake of being polarizing, but because anybody uh, who's ever like made a difference had people who love them and had people who hated them. And anybody who's loved by everyone is probably not saying that much. Um, and I agree with and, that. Uh, yeah. But the actual lived experience of mine, unfortunately, when somebody, uh, doesn't necessarily like care for me in my brain. And I wish I wasn't this way. I don't view that as like a cutoff, like, oh, that person doesn't care for me. For some reason, uh, my brain chemistry views that as like, okay, for your next challenge, you will convince this person <laughs> that you are lovable. <laughs> and like, it sounds it's funny. It's so true though, but it's yeah. true. I laugh because I'm like, it's so fucking true. Yeah. And it's like, no. And it's like, you don't owe anyone shit literally but you literally don't owe anyone and it's like think about that how much life would we have back if we could just get back all the time that we the text you sent the anything like all the approval all saying what do you think of what i'm gonna do it doesn't fucking matter at the end of the day and it doesn't work like no. nothing you can say when someone has made up their minds will change their minds no nope. but um again uh, i know i've overused the word intellectually but intellectually my brain does understand that but like when it comes to actually acting out and like the way I behave there is no connection between what I know is a fact what I want to do the same way again like with scissors in my hand or a a hair razor I know I will not look good but I have this impulse to do it and it's just it's this never-ending impulse wins every single time every single Gosh darn time. It's but, so, and you never, you never learn. You're never going to learn. Uh, never say never, but also <laughs> never, not once. Um, <laughs> it's true. Wait, so I know that you have to go soon. Say for instance, someone that's listening is in like 
the darkest time of BPD. A lot of the listeners that I have are uh, ones who've just been diagnosed. So like they look up all the shit on BPD and they're just like, oh my God, what do I do? What is your advice for the recently diagnosed and people in the, the phase of feeling just really overwhelmed with finding out they have BPD? I remember when I was first diagnosed, I gave myself this rule and the rule was pretend that getting up and starting your day isn't a choice, but pretend it's like a class that is taking attendance and you know, you can't miss. So it's like, (laughs) uh, and what I mean by that is like, when I'm sad, oftentimes I'm like, I don't want to get out of bed this morning. So I'm, I'm not gonna, but when you change the mentality from, oh, I have no reason to get up and you change it to oh, I can't get, I I can't stay in bed because then I'm going to miss something that's important. It sort of takes all the thought out of it and you sort of force yourself to go through at least the beginning part of your day where Mm -hmm. you're not allowing your uh, brain, which for all intents and purposes may have a chemical imbalance or whatever. You're not allowing that to uh, like dictate your day from the beginning. Yes. Um, it's like and, you kind of tricking yourself, like get yourself as, as long as you can get yourself out of bed. It's like, then the next things kind of happen. Totally. And that's, again, it's like, even when I'm sad, me waking mm-hmm. up and going for my walk is non-negotiable. That's and, very good. That's and, very important. Yeah. And that, I mean, sometimes I'm back from my morning walk and I'm still sad, but sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. I get back and I'm like, oh, see, I just needed to, I just need a little, a little me time. And now I'm, I'm ready to push through the day, but yeah. That's so important. And, and I think so many of us don't have those like non-negotiable things in the morning. For me, morning routine has been like game changer where I wake up, I wake up early and I'm like, after it's done, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm recharged. And I'm, I'm like that with, uh, my medication as well. I know like Mm -hmm. some people when they're like, oh no, I feel good. I don't want to take my medication. To me, getting out of bed, taking my meds and going for my walk are equally as non-negotiable as me brushing my teeth and me taking a shower. What is your advice for parents, loved ones, partners? Because I have just as many listeners that have BPD, but I also have just as many who are parents. I've had parents that sound just like probably our mom wrote the comment where they're saying like, oh my God, I listened to this and now I understand my child. Like I, I, future you that you wish you could go back and like tell your parents, I think Um, that would be the most authentic way for you to give advice. It would be two, it would be two parts. One, don't take every reaction so personally and understand that like it's often uh, much more effective to pick your battles. And sometimes if, if, if your child says something that maybe sounds like a little bit harsh, maybe <laughs> yeah. like, don't use that as your opportunity to use the parent card and be like, how dare you disrespect your parents? Sometimes maybe give a little bit of grace. Yes. And, and the second thing that I would say to a parent is um, just because your child uh, may have BPD, don't, uh, don't gaslight them into thinking that that must be why they're reacting because um, the most infuriating thing when you have BPD is for people to just assume that however you're feeling is irrational to begin with. Maybe the reaction is not rational, but that doesn't mean that your child hasn't been wronged or isn't feeling wronged in a certain way. Take 
the extreme display of emotion, not personally, but as a sign that you need to dig into maybe what's underneath that and that and hear that as a cry of someone that just needs you to just be there with them for a second. Yeah, because there's nothing uh, more painful. And again, sometimes maybe this is the case. Like I've I've had friends say, nope, you're being crazy. This is BPD. I, I just didn't answer a text. I promise I love you. I'm not going to abandon you. Yep. But sometimes it isn't helpful. Some of the times when people are saying it, I don't even think it's malicious. I think that there are some people who just don't do like the internal self-reflection exactly. to legitimately realize that, oh, maybe they're doing something that isn't, isn't the kindest. And yes. I think it's much easier to avoid doing self uh, introspection. It's much, it's probably much easier to say, no, I didn't do anything wrong. It's the BPD. It's, it's, it's the BPD. Um, and that's really painful. This conversation has been so powerful for, and I'm so happy that you were here on the pod and I would love me to have you back too. again. I, I would love that. This is, um, it's been really cathartic for me. Yes, it, it's been truly incredible. And I think we could, what we can take away is just, you know, really being strong with who you are and not feeling like we have to explain that to other people. Because when we're trying to explain ourselves away, that's when we start to feel less and less tethered to the, you know what I'm saying? Like the lack of explanation, just being who you are, which is like such a cliche, but it's like, you need all of these shitty experiences to understand the truth in the statements of just be who you are. You can't just say uh, it. You have to know it. A hundred percent. And again, an explanation of you explaining who you are is never for yourself. I mean, yes. I, I mean, and maybe if it's like a, in the journaling sense, but like <laughs> it's to make other people comfortable, but like, you know who you are. Um, yep. And regardless of uh, if, if you were born with a difficult set of cards and you happen to have BPD, it often is uh, really painful and it's hard. And it's sometimes um, really traumatizing maintaining certain friendships um, just because of the ups and the downs. However, you still know who you are. You have a group of friends who just love and adore you so much. And it seems like you found your chosen family from what, like my perception of what I view. And, and you know what? It's really, it, it's nice to hear that because, you know, I, I had a birthday, as I said, two weeks ago, and I had like this big party and so many people came and showed me love. And for some reason, two days later, I was in bed crying saying you have no yeah. friends. And it's like, mm-hmm. Again, I know I knew I know that's not the case, but it doesn't change the fact that I, I legitimately am feeling it. Yeah. Um, and so it's just like there are good days, there are bad days. Give yourself permission to have both. Yes. Um, sometimes you need the bad to know how good the, the how great the good parts are. Um, but a bad day doesn't mean a bad life. I love that. The last question I'll have, and I'm going to link everyone to Jared's socials so like people can follow you on Instagram. And afterwards, yeah. Jared, I'm going to follow up with you so you can send me some links like to the music. Like I'd love to like be able to show the the listeners yeah. so that they can listen to the song. Is Insecure like out? Uh, impulsive, impulsive. Impul- uh, yeah. <laughs> insecure, impulsive, uh, splitting. This is the EP. <laughs> See? Um, yeah, my song Impulsive, it is out on all music streaming services. You just uh, search Impulsive Jared Gelman. Um, I think people with BPD will definitely relate, but I think mm-hmm. anyone who um, is known to have impulsive behavior can. Uh, and yeah, it's a nice dark pop song. I love it. Well, Jared, 
We love you. I know the listeners are going to love you. So you'll be back, I'm sure, again. Mm-hmm. It was I'll so be, good to talk. I'll be back you. from the borderline. Oh, can I just sample that? Can that just be my new intro? Yeah, for your EDM career. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hi, All this right. is Jared Gelman, and you're listening to Molly's Podcast. Dun, 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 dun. I literally have that on record now so that we can use it. Yeah, that was my like Disney Channel commercial place. It was a little um, sexual for Disney, but we, we can rework it. It was that name. Um, that well, thank you for having me. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine. And that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media, and keep up with all the new updates, you can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode, so don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon book list recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.